Welcome, Tales of Grey listeners. I'd like to welcome my two listeners and a dog. Of course, our dog is a producer. I'd like to welcome you back. This is Tales of Glory, where we talk about scripture and we talk about stories and stuff going on of Tales of Supernatural, our supernatural God, our creator. I'd like to welcome you here today. If you're a first-time listener, come on in. You can check us out at a field guide to spiritual warfare.blogspot.com is where we host all these podcasts. And like I said, this, this show is devoted to the supernatural wonders of our God. And right now we're kind of going through Exodus, discussing how to deal with the occult in the book of Exodus. And they're like, what, Mike? You know, I've been through Exodus and my pastor's been through it. And we talk about the supernatural warfare and spiritual warfare in Exodus. This book is an ancient blueprint on how to deal with witchcraft and the occult and high-level regional powers that we're dealing with. And we're going to jump into this, discuss it, and show what God's showing us what to do. But like you said, if it's the first time to your show, let me tell you who I am. I am your host, Reverend Michael Norton. I'm the missionary with the microphone. I am the CEO and founder of M16 Ministries. It's a 51C3. I think that was founded back in 2007. I was the leader of Night Strike Homeless Street Ministry in San Francisco from 2006 to 2016. I'm heavily involved in spiritual warfare ministry and exorcism and ritual abuse counseling from 2006 to present. I do a lot of training in these areas, do course trainings, go out to churches and equip churches. Um, I'm working with the Healing Room locally right now, putting together some course material. It's pretty cool on spiritual authority and things we kind of learn here. Um, like I said, I did ritual, ritual abuse counseling and spiritual direction from 2013 on and Prior to COVID, for a couple of years, I was a co-pastor at a ritual abuse survivor church called Remnant. And like I said, COVID um, changed things and changed phases. We no longer have the building or have that church anymore, but and it is what it is. Um, I am an author of A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare, A Field Guide to Advanced Spiritual Warfare, Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 11. And I've been a minister and a missionary minister in spiritual warfare for Ethiopia, Guyana, Haiti, Vietnam, Cambodia. Cool places, man. I love those places. Love to get back on the road here post COVID. You know, I'm I'm one of the the people held out and didn't get the jab. You know, I've I've had COVID once. I actually got COVID when I came back from Florida. If you guys can follow my adventures, I came back from Florida about a week before Thanksgiving. I must have caught it on the plane or something. Got COVID, jumped on my ivermectin, and I was over COVID in about three days. Most of the radical symptoms of it, but then I had that horrible lingering cough that just dwindles forever. I took about a month to disappear. That wasn't fun. Anyhow, enough of my uh, pedigree. Let's get rid of that. So where are we, Mike? Um, So the book of Exodus is significant in teaching us how to deal with the occult and regional spirits. Nowhere in Exodus does God instruct Moses to bind principalities. That's what this is something I want you guys to pick up on. You know, this is, this is, um, I don't know what you call it goofiness we're seeing in our church right now you know we, we have that book i keep harping on um how to root demons it tells us to bind principalities and if you picked up my book um demonology and cosmology in genesis 1 through 11 you'll know why we can't do this but i'm going to also cover it here we can't bind principalities so yes the spiritual battles in exodus are against the occult powers of principalities the sons of god the elohims who inherited the region from yahweh's divorce of nations back in genesis 11 am i repeating myself yes i am but if you're a new listener, go check out what we're talking about here. But I'm going to cover it a little bit more because Exodus seems to reflect back on Babylon and Genesis 11 as well, as we'll touch here. But I'm going through 
Exodus uh, almost verse by verse to pick up the little tidbits. We're kind of slowly ramping up and what's going on now. In Exodus 5, we finally show up to the court of Pharaoh, but I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Okay, Yahweh deals with these little gods, the Elohims, in extraordinary but devastating ways. Yahweh tells Aaron and Moses what to do in battle. We'll see this throughout Exodus. The same is true today. He's going to tell us how to do it, how to fight battles. We don't go out there in our own pride and point our fingers at the heavenly realms and go, I bind this principality to do this. I bind you. I command you. We don't have that power. We're lesser than angels. Remember, when Jesus came into our realm incarnate, he made himself lesser than angels. That's us. We are imaged lesser than angels. We don't have the authority over angelic beings, principalities, or the Elohims. That's why they're gods, lowercase gods. We simply don't. It's a no-no. A lot of intercessors and a lot of churches have this false doctrine about partnering with angels and how we have authority over angels. That's a lie. It's bad. And we're going to see this here in Genesis. So we must listen to what Jesus tells us and let him fight the battles with these divine spiritual beings. Same is true if you're battling witchcraft. You're going to be dealing with divine spiritual beings, voodoo, whatever, these lowercase gods, whatever's coming in. You have to understand and how to operate and let Jesus fight the battles for you. It's different because these things are out of our dominion and our authority. And that is what Yahweh is showing Moses and Aaron how to do. So nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to bind principalities or root demons. Jesus never instructed us to do that. Exodus is a roadmap for how we are to fight the occult. It also demonstrates Jesus' preeminence of these powers of darkness, which were imaged as lesser than him. Right? We just touched on that. Likewise, we are imaged as lesser than these divine spiritual beings. So, Jesus is the divine image of God, right? The triune, the three-in-one, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and Jesus. They're the same image. They're God. When God created the spiritual beings during his creation, they gave them a lesser image. They're, they're not supreme, preeminent God. They're lower forms of him. And when God created us in the garden... As spiritual beings embodied in flesh, we were lesser than the angels, okay? And it's, it's still holding true today. I mean, things haven't changed until the book of Revelation, until the day of the Lord. It just hasn't happened yet. So that's why we got to push this stuff out of our mind and learn to deal with it the same way Moses and Aaron had to deal with these high-level principalities. So, where are we right now? We're in Exodus 5. But let's do a quick recap on Exodus 4. At this point, everyone seeking to kill Moses was now dead, right? That was Exodus 4. So, Yahweh instructed Moses to return to Egypt and to perform the miracles to Pharaoh. It was safe for him to travel. Nobody would recognize him. Nobody wanted to kill him. So, Yahweh said, this is the time. I want you to go back, talk to Pharaoh, do as I instructed you. So, Yahweh warned that he would harden Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh would not let God's people go. We're going to discuss more and more about what this hardening the heart is in this chapter right here, Exodus 5. Yahweh warned about the tenth plague to wipe out Egypt's firstborn sons. He gave Aaron and Moses the warning that it would come down to this. Still in Exodus 4 recap, somewhere on the way to Egypt, Yahweh seeks to kill Moses for not being correctly circumcised. His wife Zipporah performs the duties of a Levite priest and circumcises their son and throws the foreskin at Moses' feet. We discussed that back in Exodus 41. Go back and take a look at that. He became the bridegroom of blood, satisfying Yahweh's anger. So Zipporah took care of that for him. 
Moses and Aaron met with the elders and performed all the signs and miracles that Yahweh instructed them to do. Right? They had to get the, um, convince the elders on board. Hey, we're going to go talk to the Pharaoh. We're going to convince him, let us go and go sacrifice, you know, out in the wilderness somewhere for Yahweh. So Moses and Aaron performed the miracles, and the elders were convinced that Yahweh had seen their affliction, and they bowed and worshipped God. They knew that Yahweh had heard you know, their affliction against them. And that leads us up to our introduction of Exodus 5. Exodus 5 occurs nearly immediately after the events in Exodus 4. Nearly immediately, I mean, there was a journey back to Egypt after meeting with the elders, and now in the opening of Exodus 5, we immediately see Moses and Aaron in the court of Pharaoh. And that's where we start our story for Exodus 5 here. Exodus 5. Subtitle for Exodus 5 in this portion of the chapter is Making Bricks Without Straw. What's going on there? Verse 1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So let's stop here and discuss some things here. So here we see the beginning of Pharaoh's heart hardening. You know, who is Yahweh? I do not know this God or who he is. So what's going on? You know, it's, it's, first of all, he hasn't heard about Yahweh. So even if he's just Pharaoh and not the, not the um, God incarnate like he thinks he is, it's like, I don't know who Yahweh is. You know, I, why am I have to obey him? You know, get him out of here. I'm a God myself. Though Pharaoh believes himself to be the image, and we the, the Egyptians called the Tutan, like you're Tutankhamun, or King Tutankhamun believed himself to be the image of Kamen, the god. So here we have Pharaoh believes he's the Egyptian god, our regional spirit, as we look at it, right? We see those back in Genesis 11. He believes himself to be Horus incarnate. He believes himself to be a god incarnate. So who is this Yahweh? I never heard of him. You know, Pharaoh thinks he's a god. He thinks he's Horus. He sees the God of the skies. He controls it, right? I'm not going to bow down to this Yahweh. I don't know who he is. So let's take a look at who Horus is. We will go to that wonderful resource called Wikipedia. Wikipedia and Horus says, and this, this is a snapshot, the earliest recorded form of Horus is a tutelary deity of Neken in Upper Egypt. What's a tutelary deity? It's a regional spirit. Oh my gosh. Interesting. First known national god, specifically related to the ruling pharaoh who in time came to be regarded as a manifestation of Harris in life and Osiris in death. Horus was often the ancient Egyptians' national tutelary deity. He was usually depicted as a falcon-headed man wearing the, the shet or a red and white crown as a symbol of kingship over the entire kingdom of Egypt. So what is a tutelary deity? It is a regional spirit, ruling regional spirit. Hmm, where have we seen that before? Yep. Coming out of Genesis 11 here, guess who, guess who these, these Elohims are, right? That's who it is. Start putting the picture. These are the Elohims that are associated back to Genesis 11. Egypt got some wicked rulers. So let's go here a second. So in our opening scene, we know that Aaron and Moses were sent to Pharaoh, and God instructed him to, hey, show them the miracles. Show them, you know, show them who I am. And they obviously did some miracles before Pharaoh to gain his court, to get him that far, right? So, the demonstration of supernatural don't always sway people into our spiritual beliefs. He may have saw the demonstration and goes, hey, I'm the god Horus. I don't believe what I'm seeing here. 
I've seen this so many times in my ministry when we're dealing either with deliverance, healing, or the prophetic. We did a lot of street ministry, and we did it in San Francisco where there was a lot of satanic activity going on, a lot of satanic worshipers. There was one incident where my team was out there, and we had this one individual we knew. She was a Satanist. We always went out and talked to her and ministered with her, and she kind of knew us, and so she was kind of safe with us, what we were doing. As she knew we were trying to aggressively you know, convert her with Jesus. We just sat and talked with her, you know, and gave her supplies and stuff because she was homeless. And she had told us that she wasn't doing too well that day because she had broken her ankle and she was really upset. So our team prayed over her ankle and about 15 minutes, the broken ankle fully healed. Now the church would think, wow, this girl bowed down, hit the ground and started thanking Jesus for the healing. No such thing ever happened. She knew Jesus healed her, but she didn't drop and fall to worship Jesus or to change her life over to him. A lot of church has this thing that if they see it, you know, one person sees a super miracle, they'll, they'll convert. Sometimes they do, but we have hardened hearts out there and we don't know why they're like that. A lot of people tell me, hey, if you do deliverance on this person, they'll accept Jesus. No, that's not true. It's not true. Remember back to what Matthew said? If the house is left unswept, 10 demons worse will move in. So we got to respect that the supernatural and God's demonstrations, those are hardened hearts out there. And it's because of who the people are. They don't want to accept it. I've had it in the prophetic too. I've, I've worked with people in prophetic, you know, out in the streets. My funniest one I ever had was I was working with, um, uh, we were just out wandering around and doing street ministry with the homeless. And this one guy starts yelling us because he's an atheist, right? And so I was like, oh, okay, here we go. You know, let's we'll let him mouth off, do whatever he wants to do. And while he was yelling at my younger team, I just kind of looked at him and go, oh my gosh, I got a prophetic word from God. God goes, ask him about his hammer. He works, on, works with metal. I'm sitting there going, what? He goes, yeah, ask him about the hammer. I go, hey, dude, you know, I don't want me to interrupt or something. He's still yelling at these people while he's an atheist. I go, hey, um, I don't want to offend you or anything, but I learned to listen to God. And he's telling me to ask you about your metal hammer that you work on metal with. This guy just looks at me a dead stare and goes, who the hell are you? <laughs> right? And I'm sitting there going, uh, what's going on with that? And he goes, how do you know? How, how do you know I work with a hammer? He's kind of like, you know, paranoid. What's going on here? How, how did you know that? You know, I work with steel down at the shipyard. I'm a steel metal worker. I go, well, I just wanted you to know that, um, you know, I'm learning to listen to God. And he, this is early on in my career in Night Strike. And he goes, I want you to know that yeah, he sees you working that you're having a hard time. You know, it didn't sway the guy, but it was dead accurate. He believed me too. But, you know, it's just, we have to be careful like here with Pharaoh. Just because a supernatural miracle happens, God's going to pull out the whole nine yards, going to put the whole show on for him because he's chasing them. He's not making them harden because he's angry with them, right? Their hearts harden. They got to break through. They got to break through where they're at. We know where the rock bottom's at. We know where Pharaoh's rock bottom was at. You know, Pharaoh was the other way around. Things were good. He was a God. He was good being God, right? It was nice. It was good. So we see the hardened hearts and what's going on here. And why didn't all these miracles sway him? You know, God already knew. God told Moses and Aaron back in Exodus 4, you know, it's going to come to that final plague where I'm going to have to wipe out their firstborn so Pharaoh will let my firstborn go and worship me. He already knew it. God knew he was going to take that, that final plague. So God's going to give this guy 10 chances to change. And he's not going to change. So keep that in mind and what's going on here. Why didn't, you know, it wasn't exactly God hardening Pharaoh's heart. It was God was attacking Pharaoh's 
belief system that Pharaoh thought he was a god and he wasn't. He thought he was a deity incarnate, so God was going to go, hey, when a real god shows up at your doorstep, I'm going to show you something, right? Because I want my people to leave there, and I don't like, you know, I don't like how you've afflicted them with all these um, burdens and treat them as slaves. So let's move forward here. So we're back on verse 3. Making bricks without straw. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord and our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Right? He's not going to do it. No, these people are working for me. I got them building stuff, building my city, building Ramses city. Verse five. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen. Uh Oh, here we go. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Right? He thought he had too much time on our hands. Right? Well, obviously they got too much free time on their hands, and they're, they're complaining about going to worship their God. So why don't we just consume their free time so they don't have it? And so he put forward you know, the decree that they're, they're going to start making bricks without straw. Go find your own straw. So let's look at discussion notes, Exodus 5, verse 7 through 8. So verse 7, the bricks and straw imagery take us back to the imagery of Babylon. Remember that? What the writer of the Exodus in verse 4 is trying to show us, or verse 7, excuse me, is that Egypt is now the new Babylon. Verse 8, Pharaoh determines the Hebrews are too relaxed in their workload and have to turn to complaining. So Pharaoh responds with the Hebrews increasing and making their brick quota. So we're seeing here, the Hebrews are being afflicted. This is the new Babylon. There's chaos here. And God's going to take on the chaos of the new Babylon, which is Egypt. Verse 9. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says the Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves where you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. The people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily tasks, each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of your making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to the Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are being beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle, that is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met with Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them, as they came out from the Pharaoh, and said to them, The Lord look on you and judge you, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. 
Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, why have you done evil to these people? Why did you ever send me? Here we go again, right? He's blaming God. Oh, my gosh. I know. Like I said, that's all of us. I don't want to kind of whine like that, but it's in our daily tasks when God wants to send us somewhere. Why did you send me to do this? This got all messed up. You know, it's, it's everyday man is Moses. That's what it is. Verse 23. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his people, and you have not delivered your people at all. He's kind of talking back to God. That's not cool right there, right? But I get that. I think Moses in his mind, that's kind of like mental prayer. You know, look what happened now. You know, I told you not to send me. So we kind of have those conversations with God, too. We sound kind of dumb. <laughs> We're talking to him. Why'd you send me? I told you it'd be a dumb idea. And God's just going, you know, I get it and all. That's why, that's why I made you guys lower images. You don't get it. But um, just, just work with me on this one. It's work with me to see it out through the end. And you'll see things work out. And that's what we have to do. That's why we times we go in these trials and stuff when it gets kind of messy. Because we don't see as God sees, and God has, God's put us on the right track. We just have to trust Him and ride it out with Him. And that's one thing that Moses is going to learn to do too. But, you know, Moses already kind of sold himself short, we learned in Exodus 4, where he was intended to be both the king and priest of the Israelites, like King Melchizedek. But instead, he conceded his um, priesthood to Aaron. God wanted. Moses to be both the king and the priest, but now we have Moses king and Aaron as the Levite, which wasn't God's plan. But, you know, like we said, it's it's not Calvinism going on here. God works with us. God takes our counsel, even though, you know, he knew, he just, he knew what Moses would do. Okay, fine. I was going to give you the whole, you know, the whole Wonka kingdom here, but you only want half of it. So, is what it is here. End of Exodus 5 notes. So, like I said, in this battle of the supernatural, when you're dealing with witchcraft and stuff, you may pull out all the stops and stuff, and there's no change. It depends on the person where their heart is now hard than their heart is. You know, I had a story sometime back, and I shared in um, previous episodes where I was called into a situation where um, it was a ritual abuse survivor, and the people working with her thought she was manifesting. She wasn't manifesting. She was executing programming for a certain ritual, and it brought in with her an Egyptian demon. And by the time I was called out and I got to the scene, um, the girl was on the corner on the floor laying face down, and I walked in the room and I sent, sensed it. You know, this isn't all the times with ritual abuse survivors. This, something happens. I think the, the girl was triggered and summoned the spirit into the room. And when I walked in, I felt this spirit, and I saw it in the spirit too. I saw like this Egyptian deity looking thing here and I go, oh gosh, I don't have the authority over this thing right here. Um, God, what do I do? Right? And so God just used me. God, you know, there's times the Holy Spirit will speak through you. And he instructed this this deity what to do and told her to sit on the couch and sit there and not move while I was in the presence of this girl. And this girl noticed this and like she didn't say anything at first. What on earth is going on here? And we've seen a person do that or have the power to exercise over some spirit like that. And later on down the road, it worked for a couple of years. She goes, you know, the day I became a Christian is that day you showed up and you made that Egyptian spirit sit on the couch and not move. I said, that wasn't me. That was Jesus. She goes, I know. But that demonstration of power is what made me become a Christian. So we don't know what the after effects are, nor did I know I was involved with a critical point with her making her decision. Right? I didn't find out a few years later. She shared it with me. That's kind of cool. So, we just do as God instructs us, and it's up to the person whether they receive or not. 
And that's where a lot of deliverance ministers get upset. Like, I thought the demon would leave in an hour. Yeah, it did with Paul because Paul was way out there in his anointing, right? You know, and Jesus was God incarnate, so he can kick these things out right away. The rest of us, it could take an hour. It could take days. It could take weeks, months, years to kick spirits out, depending on what's going on. The person could need counseling. The person could have behavioral issues need to be modified as these demons leave and so forth. So we're dealing with the supernatural. We must be patient. But above all, we have to pay attention to what level spirits are here. So when I worked that Egyptian spirit, kind of like here, it was kind of like my, my Moses and Aaron thing, but I had to be all in one with that, that young girl where God put in my head what to say and it wasn't, I was binding you, doing this, doing that. And I was kind of leery of doing it, but I felt the Holy Spirit telling me. I felt him do it. And there's been several times like that in the same place where he had me close portals in the house by other program children parts, um, seal stuff off. And it was through the Holy Spirit. So that's what I want you to get to here. It's not reading demons books. It's listening to the Holy Spirit and what level of spirit you're dealing with. If the spirit is a dominion, that Egyptian spirit was not. There was something different about it. It was out of my, you know, it was out of my dominion. I had to exercise and fall back to what the Holy Spirit was telling me to do. Now, if you're dealing with something demonic in front of you and it's an unclean spirit, then you can exercise your authority and dominion, and we'll get into that. That's a lot of things Christians don't understand. We get all these little wild little um, doctrines out there now on how to deal with the supernatural. But this is important because Exodus is telling us how to deal with the occult. We do what God tells us to do. You know, if God would told me something with that Egyptian spirit, hey, Mike, I want you to raise your hand and say nothing. You know, that was an Egyptian sign too. I didn't do that. But if God told me to do that, that's what I would have done. I wouldn't jump in already and go, gosh, this is what I've learned from my deliverance classes and I learned from cleansing streams. All that would have been useless right there. It's all listening to Holy Spirit. So that's why we're going through Exodus. There's going to be some high level stuff. We're slowly ramping up and what God's doing and we're going to see more of the regional spirits and who they are. I believe in Exodus 6 and 7. So we're kind of ramping up slowly. But we saw here how Pharaoh was hardened, like, you know what? I'm not impressed by your little magic show. I'm going to make these Hebrew people work harder because they obviously have too much time in their hands and they send Moses and Aaron from, to demand me to make them go off in the wilderness and you know, worship um, their God when I'm the God here, right? So, you know, who is this God? Who is Yahweh? That's what he's saying. All right. Where would we be without a spiritual exercise, right? I'm going to do a contemplation um, exercise in, in reading scripture and Pharaoh's hardened heart. Kind of wrap up some of the stuff we've done so far. Maybe let the Holy Spirit unpack some stuff we're talking about. So, like I said, if you're sitting there in your easy chair, you know, just kicking back, chilling, listening in, I want you to do is just kind of relax, still your mind, be still and know that I'm God. And go back to Psalm 1, we're going to meditate on the law. We're going to meditate on the word here. In Jesus, we just invite you in right now. We just invite you in. We invite in your peace, the Holy Spirit. Come unpack this material for us as we visualize. And as I read, I want you guys to visualize the words like you're watching a movie. Okay? You're just watching this thing play out and see what the Holy Spirit reveals to you. Or Jesus, can you come into the movie and reveal to them what's going on here? So Jesus, we thank you. Just still our hearts, still our minds, and let this word of God come in. Let your powerful word come in. Help us understand what was going on with Pharaoh, why his heart was hardened. So Jesus, I thank you. So Jesus, we're just going to open with Exodus 4, verses 21 through 23. And the Lord said to Moses, 
when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Jesus, help us. What's going on here? What's going on with this, Lord? Help us unpack it, Holy Spirit. Exodus 5, verses 1 through 2. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I shall obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, Yahweh, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Jesus, thank you. We thank you, too, that you make your invisible world visible, as you did in the book of Exodus, and that you're there with us when you tackle the occult. You tell us what to do. We don't have to have the answers, God. We don't have to have the answers. You're there for us, and you fight with us, and you fight it for us. That's important. Walk away with the occult, God. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe some of you right now are under attack by the occult. Jesus, we ask you to go fight the battle for them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. It's got to be quiet and be in their silent place, like in Psalm 91. Be still, right? Psalm 41, excuse me. But in Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shadow of the Almighty, right? Dwells in that secret place. Go to your secret place. Go to Jesus being bombed. Don't listen to those demonic voices of the occult. Don't have to listen to them. Tell them to shut up. Let Jesus tell you who you are. Spend time with him. Jesus. If you're obsessing over the occult attacking you, Moses and Aaron weren't. They were up against some high-level sorcerers. Far much higher than you were ever going to be up against. Don't have the anxiety. Ask Jesus what's going on. Ask Jesus to make it stop. I need to fast. I fast to make it stop. Not obsess over it. Maybe I just need to go deeper with Jesus and forget about the occult attacking me. At least that whole battle to Jesus. Say, you know what? I can't fight this. Jesus, help me. Just go in your prayer closet, prayer room, your prayer chair, or in your car, wherever did you go. Take some Kleenex with you. I can't fight this. Surrender it. He knows you can't fight it. The witches know you can't fight it. So why are you fighting it? Do as Jesus did. Just do as I show you. Jesus may show you something else that has nothing to do with fighting the occult. He goes, Jesus, I want to come up. Maybe he knows how to walk you out of it. You have to follow him. He's going to do some weird stuff. Like, no, Jesus, that's not what I was told. I'm not going to bind the witches. I got to stop them. Pray against them. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Let me deal with them. Let me deal with them. Just sit over here and just, just talk about each other. You know, let's 
for you. Who am I? It's Jesus. Get to know him. Because the deeper you know him, the less effective the witchcraft becomes in the darker battles. Give me, I know a thing or two about very dark battles. It's my time with Jesus. Sometimes you got to go fetal and sit in Jesus' arms. Say, Jesus, I am so messed up right now. And Jesus goes, I know. Oh, let me deal with it. Okay. Different style of battle. Not taught how to fight this in church, but it's fought. Jesus' arms. Just hang there and be with him. Let him know you're upset. Let him know you're scared. Let him take the anxiety. Let him take the burden. Let him take the depression. I went through very dark battles of depression. It wasn't mine. It was because it was involved with battles of witchcraft or demonic possession. Well, they know how to fling depression on you. I'm not a person that's depressed. I'm usually kind of stupid dad joke kind of guy, right? I like laughing at things and making fun of stuff, and I'm kind of silly. So when depression hits me, it's like, oh, this is demonic, you know? It's usually involved with a case I'm in or something. They'll try to fling something my way. Go to Jesus. And that depression doesn't break right away. I've had times where it took maybe a month to break, or longer, in these battles. It takes as long as it takes, but recognition is go to Jesus and get a book on deep prayer. Forget the deliverance books. Get a book on deep prayer and go deeper to Jesus. He will turn it into a trial, and he'll make you stronger coming out of it. So much stronger. I have podcasts on um, St. Teresa of Avila trials. I think they're, go look at the chapter five I did. I think it was on trials like this. Go look at that. Go look how to be a prayer warrior. Pray for yourself, you know. Get yourself healed. Get yourself healed from the witchcraft. It, it breaks. It breaks. It does. Because God brings judgment to these lowercase gods, the Elohims. He's the one. That's what he did in Exodus. That's why it's such a fabulous book. I'll go read Exodus. Get, get built up on how many times he's, he's taken on these spirit, uh, regional spirits and defeated them. Answer to him. So, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for what's going on here. And yeah, it's been an amazing time, God. Thank you so much. Jesus, and these tips I'm giving to you is because I've been through myself. I've been through some very dark, dark stuff helping other people. No, it's not fun. I know where it's at. I know how to come out of it. And it's by going deeper with Jesus. It's not to obsess over the witchcraft. That's how they hook you. Look at this. Look at this. That's not what you want to do. That's not what Aaron and um, Moses did. No. I know, but you could see Moses was frustrated. God, I told you to send somebody else. That's what our, that's our voice too during spiritual battles. I told you to somebody else to get this. Have somebody else fight this for me. Nope. That's, I'm going to have you do it. See, that's the hook. I'm going to have you do it. That's what Jesus wants you to do. Come deeper with me. Anyhow, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You guys are amazing. Love you guys. I hope this helps you. But going deeper is how you win the battle. Going deeper, Jesus. Get some good prayer books. We should put some on the web. I'll put some on the show notes. Help you guys out. You're going to do a 180 in your prayer. I know we're not taught how to go deep in prayer in churches now. It's all about the, the guy at the pulpit telling us what to do, and there's a lot of bad information coming out. But, yep. It is what it is. So, God bless you guys. Um, let's see. No, I'm not going to the covert prophetic evangelism thing. It, it got shot down this year. Um, I know Cindy McGill went, but I wasn't unable to raise funds, but I still use the funds for ministry and keeping this thing alive and afloat for a while because we're having some financial issues too. Um, we've been through them before. You know, it goes in cycles. Last year, 
your prayer. I had a huge war chest. I was able to pay for other people come get counseling with me. And it, it's not there now. <laughs> down nickels and dimes. But, you know, it, it happens. You know, and I don't have the offices here either. It's just the, the, the economy we're in. People can't afford counseling. And I get it. But we're still putting stuff out there. Put material out. Um, I'm working with a local good-sized church here in a healing room on spiritual warfare and authority training. Um, I'll publish that when it comes out. It'll probably happen in the next month or so. It's getting really close. I'm meeting with the, the guy that, that runs this thing, and we're, you know, it's not going to be like the normal deliverance you guys listen, used to. It's how it culminated my battles and what I've seen in the past couple of years working with other people, other ministers, and what we've seen. It's a very high-level um, information I think you guys will enjoy, and I'll get it, those dates out to you. This comes coming like an, an eight-session course. It's going to be spread out over time. It's a lot of material, lots of material. So, um, like I said, if you're interested in donating, we're 501c3, m16ministries at gmail.com is how you can get us through PayPal. Um, I have a few books out there, A Field Guide Spiritual Warfare, very good book, it's a good starter book on, on deliverance and, and spiritual warfare. The Advanced Field Guide, which is um, covers some darker stuff and regional spirits, things like that, uh, exorcism, and, and topics on dissociated identity disorder, which you need to know if you're in deliverance, very important. And Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11, a very important book. That should be a starter book for you now. I'd flip that first. You can find these books at Amazon.com or you can find them on my website, www.afg2sw.com. You can see that on the slides here if you're looking at Spotify or YouTube or Rumble. Or you can also go to a field guide to spiritual warfare.blogspot.com. Find the website. And we're also on Facebook right now, Field Guide Spiritual Warfare. It's a page site. You can look there, too. See now, guys? Amazing stuff. Got through it. Now go out and be a blessing and make good choices. God bless you. Amen. The M16 Bunker signing off.